I'm so happy you stopped turning your podcast dial and landed right here. You made it just in time. I was just getting ready to tell a story. I'm Robert Peterson. Welcome to Notorious Bakersfield. Are you ready to hear a Notorious Bakersfield story? Good. You're here. I'm here. Let's get started. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I hope everyone enjoyed their 4th July holiday. I know I did. Before I jump into the topic of this episode, I wanted to clarify some things from the fourth episode, the last episode, about the Santa Fe passenger train accident in 1960. Someone asked if it was unusual for the Kern County coroner to determine who was at fault for the accident. By today's standards, yes. However, what I've discovered in doing research for this podcast is that the county coroner fulfilled a lot of duties and had many responsibilities back then. If an accident like that were to happen today, it would be investigated by the National Transportation Safety Board and the Federal Railroad Administration. Those two organizations didn't come into an existence until 1967, almost seven years after that accident. So yeah, most certainly um, if that was to happen today, um, the coroner would not determine who was at fault for that accident. In July 1986, I took a trip to Hawaii with my sister and niece. Now, in-flight entertainment back then wasn't what it's like today. There were no seat-back screens or streaming movies or TV programs. There was no internet, so there was no Wi-Fi. Entertainment consisted of maybe an in-flight movie that was projected onto a forward movie screen. Depending on the airline, when the plane was on the ground taxiing to or from a gate, sometimes local TV stations would be projected onto that screen. On our return trip from Hawaii, and once we landed at LAX, KBC's 11 o'clock news was on the screen. I wasn't paying too much attention to what was on, but I could see that news anchor Jerry Dunphy was delivering the news. And since I didn't have my earphones in, that's what we called them back then, I couldn't hear what he was saying. Then my niece nudged me and she said, Robert, look, Bakersfield. I looked up at the screen and saw a graphic over Jerry Dunphy's shoulder that said, military jet crashes in Bakersfield. It turns out that this mysterious United States military aircraft, an aircraft that the Air Force never acknowledged existed, had crashed and threatened to expose one of the country's closest guarded secrets. That was July 11th, 1986, and since the 35th anniversary of that crash is near, I decided that this would be the perfect topic for this episode. Welcome to the fifth episode of Notorious Bakersfield. (laughs) 
During the Vietnam War, it became clear that the United States needed an aircraft with capabilities to counter the Soviet Union's sophisticated surface-to-air missiles. The United States needed an aircraft that had the ability to not be detected on radar screens. The concept and design began in 1975 as a black project, meaning it was highly, highly classified. Few people in the Pentagon even knew it existed. For years, the military stealth program was so shrouded in secrecy that journalists, military pundits, model airplane designers, game developers were left to name the aircraft on their own. Conventional wisdom was that the military would probably name it the F-19. So that's what those who were not in the know went with, the stealth F-19 fighter. United States Air Force Major Ross E. Mulhair was one of the very first pilots chosen to train in this highly classified stealth fighter. The hand-picked airmen who were part of this elite group of pilots wore a small silver lapel pin designed as a nighthawk with a ruby red eye. When family and friends asked Major Mulhair about his job, he told them he flew the A-7. He didn't even tell his wife what he did and the Air Force subjected him to regular lie detector tests. The Air Force went to great lengths to keep this stealth plane a secret. One night, a Las Vegas air traffic controller notified an F-16 pilot that an A-7 was going to be passing over him about 1,000 feet. The F-16 pilot responded, quote, I don't know what it is, but that's no fucking A-7, unquote. When the F-16 crew landed, they were met by Air Force security for a debriefing. Using the call sign Ariel 31, Major Mulhair took off from the Tonopal test range in the Nevada desert. It was 1.13 a.m. July 11, 1986. These late-night, early-morning trading missions were intended to help keep the plane's existence a secret. Before taking off, Mulhair told another pilot that he was tired and couldn't shake it. He was an experienced and accomplished pilot. He had to be to be one of only a few people chosen to train in these super-secret airplanes. Despite his experience, he'd only accumulated 53 and a half hours in this new aircraft. Mulhair climbed to 20,000 feet as he piloted the aircraft over the Sierra Nevada mountains and to California's eastern portion of the San Joaquin Valley. The aircraft wasn't stealthed up, meaning it was visible to radar, and the navigation lights were on. Its onboard transponder identified itself as an A7D on air traffic controller screens. After making a southeastern maneuver to fly towards air Edwards Air Force Base, Mulhair radioed Los Angeles Center to request permission to descend to 17,000 feet. L.A. Center granted that request. After receiving permission to descend, and as the lights of Bakersfield streaked out of the pilot's view, at 1.45 a.m., Ariel 31 vanished from civilian and military radar. Major Mulhair didn't eject and went down with his aircraft. He died instantly when it impacted the rugged terrain 15 miles east of Bakersfield. Obviously, this posed a huge national security risk for the Air Force. Here was one of the most secret airplanes, and it crashed in a public area. 
the crash sparked a brush fire that the Kern County and U.S. Forest Service firefighters were quickly dispatched to. It was only a matter of time before local media would be on scene. The Kern County Sheriff's Office cordoned off the area and warned media and that, that the Air Force had restricted the entire area, including the airspace above. It wasn't long before Kern County deputies were replaced by Air Force personnel at the perimeter of the crash site. A newspaper described the cordoned-off area as a ring of steel. Being the nosy person I am, a friend and I went to investigate. It was over off of Rancheria Road, where the staging area was. It was guarded by a line of military police. I remember at least a half dozen TV satellite trucks and news crews. We stopped to observe and saw helicopters off in the distance several miles away. I remember thinking it reminded me of a scene from the TV series MASH. Meadows Field, Bakersfield's airport, became the staging area for the various military aircraft bringing in Air Force recovery teams. The recovery effort took weeks, and the conditions were harsh. This was in the middle of summer. Temperatures exceeded 100 degrees on some days. Not only were the temperatures hot, but the area was rugged and alive with rattlesnakes. It's been reported that the Air Force also littered the debris field with parts unrelated from another aircraft to throw off scavengers once the restricted area was opened back up. On August 7th, the Air Force announced that the recovery effort was complete and the restricted area was open. As a memorial to the pilot, the Air Force left a single American flag on a pole near the crash site. The very next day, a local TV station chartered a helicopter to transport a news crew to the crash site. The news team discovered and collected debris. After featuring the debris on the evening's program, they turned over their findings to the Air Force. Despite fi this finding from the crew, the news crew, the Air Force announced that it had no intention to return to the crash site. This makes me wonder if the debris found at the site was from the Air Force's crash super-secret stealth aircraft, or was it from a different aircraft that the Air Force had planted? The super-secret stealth aircraft wasn't publicly acknowledged by the Pentagon until April 1990. Even then, the information given to the public was lacking, but they did confirm that the aircraft that crashed on the outskirts of Bakersfield on July 11, 1986, was indeed a stealth fighter. With that acknowledgement came the real name, the F-117A Nighthawk. When the Pentagon did confirm this, they also confirmed that there had been two other loss of aircraft accidents. Of the three, two had resulted in the deaths of the pilots. All of these accidents involved pilots with less than 100 flying hours in that particular aircraft. Even though the United States government confirmed this crash involved an F 117A aircraft, a stealth aircraft, an accident report was never released publicly. Aviation experts and enthusiasts speculate that the cause of Major Mulher's accident was spatial disorientation, the inability to determine true body position, motion, 
altitude, and attitude relative to the Earth. Both pilots and underwater divers encounter this phenomenon. Major Ross Edward Mulhair celebrated his 35th birthday on the 4th of July, 1986, just one week prior to his death. He was a native of River Edge, New Jersey, and a 1974 graduate of the Air Force Academy. Major Mulhair was survived by his wife, Mary, children, Kaylin, Anthony, and Mayon, parents, Edward and Kathleen Mulhair, brothers, Keith and Drew Mulhair, and sister, Lisa Sanderson. Through the years, there have been several different people who have trekked to the crash site. Some have brought replacement flags to change out for the tattered flag left behind by the Air Force to memorialize Major Mulhair. The only documentation I can find online about when someone last visited the crash site was in 1999. Although I visited the vicinity of the crash site in 1986, my friend was driving, so I don't remember the location very well. The only thing I recall is that it was off Rancheria Road. I'm certain we weren't anywhere near the actual location of the crash site. I'm sure we were several miles away. I've made numerous attempts to find information online about where Major Mulhair went down. I can't find anything. If there's anyone out there who has information about where this location is, please contact me. It would be interesting to find out when the last time someone visited the site and to determine what condition the American flag is and today. Perhaps there's a local veteran organization that would be willing to take on this project. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I welcome feedback if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for stories you'd like me to cover on a future episode. Email me at NotoriousBakersfield at gmail.com. There's no space between Notorious and Bakersfield. It's all one word. Be sure to visit Notorious Bakersfield's social media pages. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Resources used for this episode were... Photorecon.net, the xhunters.com, airforcemag.com, the Los Angeles Times, the f117a.com, Reuters News Service, and the Associated Press International. You can subscribe to Notorious Bakersfield on your favorite podcast app, where a Notorious Bakersfield story will be released every Tuesday. Until then. You'll hear me next Tuesday, Robert Peterson, wishing you a pleasant rest of your week.